Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas, and as always, we are doing Life Over Coffee. In this episode, I want to talk about the S word, not sin, not salvation, but I want to talk about another common friend that we have, or maybe foe, depending on your perspective, and that is suffering. It is something that uh, we all are entangled in to varying degrees. Suffering is a part of our life, and so it is essential, at least in my view, that we talk about it. One of the things that I have discovered over the years of doing the work of discipleship and biblical counseling is that uh, many of my brothers and sisters do not have a robust view, a sound theology of suffering, and so it becomes a a talking point. We need to have these conversations, and I have been in that boat myself. A season of suffering in my life where I just did not know if God was in this mess or not, and hope had had drained from my mind, from my thinking. And so I think it's important from time to time to talk about uh, these challenging situations in our lives, and that's what I want to do uh, in this episode. In fact, I've titled it, When You Feel That God Is Not With You. I like that language, uh, with you. This is what we read of uh, Joseph. It says that God was with Joseph, and that is a beautiful thing when God is with us. Uh, but sometimes we can feel that God is not with us when our troubles become so complex and and the smoke becomes so thick that we cannot see God in our situation. And so this is something that we do want to talk about. If you want to read this article that I'm sharing with you, as always, we try to create our resources in a, a read, watch, listen format. And so you can read what I'm sharing with you. You can watch it in video. Of course, you can also listen too. And then we want you to share all of our content with 1,000 of your closest friends. And so uh, just begin sending out these URLs. Uh, let people know. You can print off our articles. There's a print button at the bottom of all of our articles, and you can hit it and print it off as a paper, or you can print it off as a, as a make it, turn it into a PDF, and that would be fantastic, and you can benefit from it personally. Of course, you can share it with your friends. Let me get into this. When you feel that God is not with you, let me begin with a question. Have you ever been alone. Now, I'm speaking of the worst kind of loneliness here, not your run-of-the-mill loneliness. I'm talking about a sting that, that penetrates the depth of a person's soul. That is the kind of loneliness that I'm asking you. It is a peculiar kind of, of isolation that is different from being by yourself as though hanging with someone would solve the problem. No, I'm, I'm talking about a type of loneliness that even isolates you in a crowd. You, you can go to a church meeting on Sunday morning, and you can have 25 people, 250 people, or 2,500 people in your mega church, and you're sitting there all alone. You know that you are in a bad spot when living in community with others cannot satisfy the pain 
of loneliness. It has penetrated to the point of feeling it. And that's why I title this, when you feel, and I mean, I mean the word feel, when you feel that God is not with you. There's a text of scripture in Exodus 10, 21 that I think about when I think along these lines of feeling lonely. This text goes like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of, of darkness. I, I have it not to that degree. I know that we have spent some time in Alaska, and uh, it seemed darker up there, and our, our family all affirmed that as we were there, and it just seemed darker in Alaska at night than, than here uh, in Greenville, South Carolina. And so that kind of gave us an idea that there are degrees of, of darkness. And in the days of Moses, when he was uh, giving out the plagues, uh, when darkness came over the land, it was so dark that they could feel it. Being lonely to the degree that I am speaking of is an isolating pain. It is more internal than external. Sometimes people talk about physical coldness this way. You know, a coldness that penetrates the body to where you're bone cold. Uh, maybe you have been on the streets of New York City or maybe the Windy City in Chicago. We have, as you, you walk down the streets of Chicago during the winter and you turn the corner and the hawk just the hawk grabs you and penetrates you to the bone the hawk being a metaphor for the cold it is a chilling kind of cold the physical chilling that i'm talking about here is similar to the spiritual feeling of loneliness that these individuals experience. It does remind me of the curse of darkness that Moses put on the Egyptians. Even being in the middle of 100 people does not bring relational warmth to the lonely soul because loneliness at its root is a spiritual matter. It's not just physical. There is a physical component to a community, no doubt about that, but there is a deeper truth with the problem of being alone. You see, God created us for an external and internal community. On the physical front, we associate with and we enjoy being around people, and that is fun. That is a lot of fun, and you all have experienced that as I have too. But on the spiritual front, Connecting with other spiritual beings at a level that, that pushes beyond mere superficialities, this kind of community is absolutely essential. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about their frustration with others who do not go deep in their relationship. Their complaint focuses on a desire to intersect with someone at the level of the lonely heart. And there's a reason for this. God made us this way, not just for external, warm companionship. That is great. But there is also this internal spiritual connectivity that we should have that, that comes with being part of a community. And so this expectation to, uh, to connect 
on this deeper level, it should not be far-fetched, but it should be an optimistic longing for you, for me, for fellow image bearers, because the Lord made us in his image, and we long to be like him. Uh, Think about this. He is the original community. Father, Son, and Spirit enjoy an uninterrupted, perichoretic, interpersonal relationship within the Trinity. It made sense after the Lord created Adam to want to bless his creation by giving him a complimentary helper. You read this in Genesis 2.18. You know the passage where God said it's not good for man to be alone. And we don't know all the exact reasons the Lord blessed Adam this way. But we do know it was not best for him to be without human companionship, whether in the fullest intimacy that we can have with another human in the covenant of marriage or with specific others in the human community who will not be as intimate as a spouse can be, but yet really satisfy our longings for external and and internal connectivity. Our desire for community is partial affirmation that God made us in his image. We are similar to him. James talked about that in James 3.9, where he talked about being made in the similitude of God, similarity to God, being made in God's image. Humanity has a sense of and a craving for tribal belonging. Again, a good thing in this context. And the historical record affirms this as we perceive the Lord's desire to hang with us. Think about this as you skip a rock across the pond of Scripture, you see God always wanting to hang with us. Let's skip that rock just for a moment. In Genesis 2.15 and 17, in Genesis 3.8, we see God walking with Adam. Later on, he asked Moses to build a tabernacle so that he could be with his people. That is in Exodus 25.8. And that tabernacle has, has specificity as a little bit later as the rock continues to skip across the pond. We will see in John chapter 1 that Jesus tabernacled with his people. But after the tabernacle in the wilderness, when the family finally, finally settled down in the land of Israel... The Lord gave instructions to Solomon to build something more permanent so that God could be with his people. And you see that in 1 Chronicles 22.10. And then, of course, the Son of God became a man so that he could tabernacle with us, be with us to help us. And one of those passages is John 1.14, where that's the passage or the verse where it talks about him tabernacling with us, but in Matthew one twenty three, God with us. And then he left us, but he did not leave us alone. He gave us the spirit to live inside of us so that we could continue to, to share our connectivity with him. The best part of heaven is how we will be with and experience God forever and ever. Our external An internal being can experience God's intention for relationships. His gift to us is an eternal reciprocal delight, 
starting in the Garden of Eden, and it will be fulfilled in Revelation 22, verse number 5, from the beginning to the end. The Lord has made a way for his children not to be alone, not just with him, but also in the community, the human community, because it's not good for a man to be alone. And so we can share physical and relational connectivity with God and with others, and we can experience spiritual relational connectivity with God and others. And that's why when, when people make the complaint that, that all I have is superficial relationships, there's two things to, to, to think about. Well, maybe three things. One, you want to guard your heart because that complaint can turn to bitterness quickly, especially if you don't see the fulfillment of, of deeper relationships in your life. And so when people start talking like that, oh, on one hand, I'm glad that they're talking like that because they want in-depth relationships, but I also see a red flag there because I've been there myself, and you can become bitter, and so your complaint becomes non-redemptive. It becomes sinful. So that's one thing. You want to guard against that complaint. Don't, don't ever give up the optimism. Don't give, ever give up the perspective. Don't ever give up the desire to want non-superficial relationships, but guard your heart when they don't come forthcoming as fast as you would want them. Then number two uh, is that you want to uh, make sure that you are being that person, that you're always scoping out. You're, you, you are uh, running the perimeter with your eyes, and you're looking uh, for people and trying to build connectivity with other people. You want to always be a representative of the very thing that you're complaining about. It would be bad to complain about something and then not be intentionally intrusive in people's lives, and you're going to find that everybody will not like that. And so you'll, you'll begin to figure out where the players are on the field, but as you continue to be intentionally intrusive and in people's lives, eventually you will find some who will want to go deeper. And so we want to guard our hearts as we think about this idea of spiritual connectivity. But it is a thing, and so you never want to give up on the quest uh, to find folks that you can go beyond superficiality with. But there are times in our lives when it seems as though God is not with us. As I was going through that list, skipping the rock across the pond of Scripture and, and his intentionality about being with us, but we can feel that he is not with us. And then there could be times also, in addition to, where it seems like people are not with us as well. Now, that is the loneliness that can be felt. And this is where Job was as he was going through his experience. And I want to share right in the middle of the book of Job, chapter 23, one of the most profound passages in all of Job. Uh, but this is definitely a passage that God has done a work in my heart with. And so I want to share Job 23, verses 8 and 9 specifically. I'll do more later, but we'll start with this. Job said this, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. 
He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. North, south, east, west. No matter where Job turned, he could not perceive God. And so when your friends seemingly have forsaken you, and you are in the midst of the rubble of your conflict, and you do not perceive that that God is there, whether in front of you or behind you or to the left or to the right, that is the loneliness that I'm talking about here, which is the lowest level of loneliness that any of us could ever experience. And I know that some of you have been there, done that, and maybe some of you are there now. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to live in a world without God? Ponder that statement or that question just for a moment. How would you feel if You did not know God, could not perceive God, or had no awareness of his presence. Now, there are people in our culture who couldn't care less about what I just said. They don't think about God. But generally speaking, the majority of people that come to lifeovercoffee.com do think about God, and he is on the forefront of their minds. And so have you ever wondered what it would be like to live in a world without God? How would you feel if you did not know God, could not perceive God like what Job was saying, forward, backward, left, or to the right, had no awareness of his presence? Losing sight of God is a soul-altering experience. It is one thing when humanity disconnects from you, but the loneliness of being alone is when you do not sense the presence of the Lord in your life as Job was describing it in chapter 23. And though you may not know the source of this kind of internal lonely consternation, You can feel the soul-isolating effects. The worst-case scenario of this, of course, is eternal separation from God in hell. That will be the, the full eschatological experience of being without God, which if you are a Christian, you will not have that experience, and so we will never know what that is like to be fully, eternally without God, but that is the worst-case scenario of this kind of loneliness. But there can be, and I want to say this carefully because I don't like to use the word hell ever unless I'm talking about hell, but there can be an echo of hell on earth, an echo of hell on earth when you are relationally distant from him. And Job had this experience and you can hear you can hear the lonesomeness of his words in the 23rd chapter as i was going through the book of job in my own experience it was a four year journey with job i felt to my own degree my own iteration of this kind of loneliness it was after my wife and our children had left i lost sight of the lord The complicatedness of this time, it tempted me to drift from him. And it is important to understand this. God does not move. God is not moving away from us as though we are in the center of the universe. Uh, That is a terrible way of thinking. 
No, God is immovable, and it is us that, that drift into the periphery of the, the shadows. But I was tempted to drift from him, and I succumbed to those temptations. I, uh, sometimes I say I, I quit the Lord 387 times. That's hyperbolically speaking, but I, I just, I'm done. I'm done with Christianity. Christianity did not seem worth the cost. The soul-diminishing effect of being separated from the Lord took a mighty toll on me as I spiraled into a four-year dark night of mental and spiritual confusion. It was like being snowblind. I could not perceive the Lord in any direction. It was the worst time of my life from which I reluctantly resigned that I would never see a better day. Sometimes I, I remember explaining it this way when people would ask me if they, if they wanted to hang with me long enough to hear my bitter complaint. I told a few people it was like standing on the edge of time and just looking out into darkness, and it was nothing but nothingness that I saw. I had no future. I had resigned myself that there would not be a better day. This was it. I do not remember if I lost hope or if I just gave up on hope, but it was clear that hope was no longer my cherished friend. That awful season reminds me of a miserable song from the desperate and lost songwriter Hank Williams Sr., who lived another time many years ago. I think he died in 1959, something like that. But he was very popular in country music, and he wrote a song. It's one of my favorite of all of his songs. It's called I'm So Lonesome That I Could Cry. Kind of a miserable song, which may give you a commentary about me. But just for a moment, I want to share that song with you. I'm not going to sing it. I will spare you that. But I want you to enter into his darkness and, and, and think about what these words are saying, and you could almost hear Job singing these words. Hank Williams Sr. wrote, Hear that lonesome whippoorwill. He sounds too blue to fly. The midnight train is whining low. I'm so lonesome I could cry. I've never seen a night so long when time goes crawling by. The moon just went behind the clouds to hide its face and cry. Did you ever see a robin weep when leaves began to die? That means he's lost the will to live. I'm so lonesome I could cry. The silence of a falling star lights up a purple sky. And as I wonder where you are, I'm so lonesome I could cry. Job's misery took him to this level. He was so lonesome that he could cry, and he did. Perhaps Job knew that God was near, and I, I think it is implied in the passage that I shared with you earlier from Job 23. I think he knew that God was near, but his complex misery was exponentially more massive than his intellectual theological understanding of how things ought to be. 
sometimes our orthopraxy, how we should live our lives, can, can overwhelm our orthodoxy, what we know about God. And I think the functional realities of Job's life were more powerful than his theological understanding, so he probably knew that God was there, but he did not experience him. Now, one of the cool things is that if you move from Job's experience to uh, Hebrews, specifically chapter 4, verses 14 and through 16, we have this lovely passage that says this, something that's probably familiar with most of you. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are living in functional unbelief whenever our troubles are more controlling than the truths of Scripture. And I think that's what was happening to Job. This spot is where he landed. And I too became an unbelieving believer. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yeah, Job, I believe, knew that God was there, but his orthopraxy, how he was practicalizing the Bible in that desperate moment was more powerful than the reality of knowing that God was there. You see, I too, when I was going through that season, I had a theology degree on my wall, but I perceived the Lord was no longer in my heart. And, and that was the point when I, when I read Job's desperate words in chapter 23, verses 8 and 9. He could not see God in front, in behind, to the left, or to the right. And as horrifying as Job's perspective was when I was reading it, This is kind of weird. It resonated in my soul. It was the first time in a long time that I did not feel alone. And though it appeared that Jesus stopped calling me his friend because in my mind he departed, which is not true at all, but it felt that way. Job became my new best friend forever. One of the beauties of Scripture is its unashamed willingness to reveal all the dark machinations of sin. That's one of the things that I love about God's Word is that when you read it, it doesn't hold back from the darkness of of humanity. And we see this in Job's experience as we walk with him through his book. And I, it resonated with me. I mean, if the Bible was a perfect book in that everybody did perfect things— the Bible would not relate to my imperfect life. And so I felt, you know, Jesus said, I now call you friends. Great. I don't feel that you are with me anymore. Job had a very similar experience, and I was reading that, and it was resonating with my soul. And so in a very odd way, Job's troubles began to give me hope. He had been where I was. It reminded me of another man that I was just sharing earlier. We have a high priest. It reminded me of Christ. And then I've been started connecting that maybe Jesus hasn't left me at all, that maybe he too had experienced what I was experiencing, and maybe he had a word for me. Since we have a great high priest 
who has passed through to the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So I began to connect Job to Jesus, two men who felt very alone. Job began to reconnect me back to Christ. Sometimes God can appear so far from you that you need a friend to help you to return to your first love. I have found that in counseling many times, and, and sometimes uh, I, I would tell some people that, you know, I want you to get to Christ, but maybe you need to follow Paul as he follows Christ. Maybe you need to find a, a mentor and lean on his faith until your faith can be reconnected to Christ. You see, my church friends abandoned me during this time of separation and divorce. Some of them did this because they shunned divorced people. I, I don't say that angrily. It's just It was just the reality of the situation. Others chose to alienate because they felt awkward being around someone who should be married. I, I was too old for the singles and and too single for the married. And so it kind of put me in this, this weird spot. And then there were others who just, quite frankly, did not know how to help me. And I, I get all that, and it's all fine. I understand. God was using that. That was part of the crucible. But in time, they all left, and I was all alone. Literally, I was all alone. And this period was when the Lord invited me to his word, it was as though the Spirit was moving me to shuffle through the pages of Job. And then over time, this book became, became my cherished companion, slowly dissipating the darkness. That's the irony of the book. There's so much darkness and disappointment in the book, but it resonated with me because it began to give slithers of hope. And so I spent my days reading page after page. In my loneliness, God revealed his old servant to me. He walked off the pages of Scripture and into my life. I love this man, Job. And God used him to help me to get back to God. I sat with Job many nights, literally, with the book of Job. I sat with the book of Job many nights, four years total. And I just wanted to learn from him. Page by page, verse by verse, word by word, groan by groan. I wanted to feel what he felt. I wanted to see what he saw. I wanted to learn what he learned. I already knew the end of the story. Yay, God would eventually restore him. You see, Job was a success story ultimately. I knew that. And that's what hope does to you. Hope is a far off, and we attach our, our sights on hope, and that becomes our sight line that gravitationally pulls us through the crucible of suffering. And so God began to remind me that there is hope in this story. In 42.10, he restored the fortunes of Job. I, I knew that. And so knowing the hopeful future motivated me to persevere through the progression of pain praying that my conclusion would be similar. And this is exactly what Paul was saying in Philippians 1.6, that what God has begun, he will complete. 
We also see this in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so Job was desperate and lost, but eventually he regained his wits. God was renewing his faith, even though he could not perceive the Lord in his troubles. Right after his declaration about not being able to find God in front of him, behind him, to the left, to the right, he said this, this is verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. That's why I said earlier, I think Job knew that God was in this mess. And so let's put this in perspective. When he said, he knows the way that I take, when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Job was not golden yet. When he was saying those words, he was still sitting in his lostness, his loneliness, and his lashing out. He didn't become gold and then look back and spoke those incredible words as though his future hope had already become his present tense experience. No, he, he said those words in faith. I could paraphrase it this way. He knows the way that I take, and after he tries me for a bit, I am going to come out as gold. He said those words in faith while sitting in his loneliness and his lostness. Faith understands how things will be before that desired perceived outcome comes to pass. Now, this perspective is critical for you if you are going through loneliness. Though the trials and challenges of your life can dull the truth you know, those problems should not overcome the reality of how God is actively working in your life. Your experience does not alter God's truth. Just because you may not perceive Him, it does not mean that He is not doing things on your behalf. Job did not lose that perspective in all of his lostness. That's why he said in verse 10, God is with me and he's doing things. And we must own this kind of thinking. If you are going to persevere through your troubles, you must own this thinking. You must bring God's word daily to bear on your experience rather than permitting your experience to captivate your thoughts. Paul said it this way, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We have to keep our minds fixated on what is true, not what is untrue. And though Job did not hide the reality of what was going on in his mind, it is as though God is not here at all. He came right back and said... He knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. This worldview is the essential first step in closing the gap in a distant relationship with the Lord, and the battle begins in our minds, not in our circumstances. So how is God's Word reshaping your thoughts? Faith in God changes our misconceptions about God. This news is good because we need ongoing help 
to fully understand all that the Father is doing to sanctify us as Christ's followers. Not being able to perceive God in whole or part, it should not hinder our relationship with him. The question is, do you believe God's word? The Bible assures us how God is for us, Romans 8, 31. And you may not be able to recognize it today, but it does not alter the truth of God's word. Do you believe God's word? This Bible fact that God is with us and for us and believing God's word and acting upon it is what it means by to live by faith rather than sight when the realities of God's word overcome whatever mood or feeling you are experiencing today, then God is transforming you into gold. I've titled this, When You Feel That, that God Is Not With You. Let me share a couple of verses. I'll ask a few questions and then wrap up. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18. So we do not lose heart as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, 27, it says, Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. Here's a few questions for you. Seeing, knowing, and cherishing your great invisible God is at the heart of experiencing his presence when you're lonely. And so my appeal would be for you is to take these verses in 2 Corinthians 4, Hebrews 11, and that you would write them out and even consider memorizing them. And, and for an extra bonus, would you journal the author's intent, Paul's intent in 2 Corinthians, and then the Hebrew writer's intent in Hebrews 11 about Moses seeing him who is invisible. And then I would appeal to you to share your thoughts with, with a friend. Be practical as you reflect on these verses. And then as you share with a friend, let this iron sharpening iron concept that we read about in God's Word, let it affect you. Number two, what are your thoughts on this statement? Here it is. Faith understands how things will be long before that desired perceived outcome comes to pass. How have you experienced the Lord's goodness as you've made this idea of faith that gives you hope, that pulls you through the crucible of suffering? How, has, how have you experienced the Lord's goodness as you've made this practical in your life? And then would you talk to a friend about this? And then finally, number three, perhaps you're not so lonesome that you could cry, to quote Hank Williams Sr., but you know that others are. Would you ask God to give you the insight, the clarity, and the courage to care for these struggling people today? Maybe God has already put someone on your mind. Or as you go to your church meeting, perhaps you just look out over the congregation and ask that question. Maybe that person's lonely. Maybe you don't know. Maybe they're not, but you won't know till you go and ask them. These thoughts that I'm sharing with you from the book of Job, I also wrote a book about it called Suffering Well. You can go to Amazon, type in Suffering Well, and 
Rick Thomas. Those would be the only four words. Suffering well, Rick Thomas. And this book will probably come up. And you can order it. And this is where I wrote about those experiences that I had uh, with God and Job so many decades ago, and you're welcome to read a fuller account in the book, Suffering Well. If we can serve you, please come to our Sanctification Center. It is at lifeovercoffee.com. Enjoy your coffee. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.